New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Dr. Martin Shaw, and he's a mythologist and the author of many books, including The Night Wages. Martin, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you very much. Let's talk about myths, fairy tales, folk tales. So many of them bring up terrible, wonderful monsters. And there's a phrase in your book that really caught my eye, and it was that we must not negate our relationship with what is standing at the gates of our community. That really like got me like, oh, what am I not including? I'm not including those monsters. I'm, I'm not including the ugly. I'm trying to avert my eyes from that. But you're saying that there's a need to invite those in. Can you speak about that? Yeah, you've got to see the story through the eyes of the monster. Usually it's an issue of hurt feelings. You can see this in Beowulf, you can see this in the Judgment of Paris. You know, who didn't get the invite to the wedding? Whose invite got lost in the mail? Usually that's when the trouble begins. And, you know, you're making a big statement about your own consciousness when you don't go to those places. Do you remember that old Jungian idea of those, you know, with the brightest light cast the deepest shadow? That is the stuff, that's the grit, that's the nutrition, that's the crumbled yellow teeth of the wolf that you need to go over and befriend. But myth also tells us something else before we do that, that whatever we sent into exile grows hostile towards us. There's a fairy tale very well known called The Lindworm, where the old idea is the night you were born, you had a twin, and the twin was hurled out of the window because it was in the shape of a little black snake. And the community at large don't want to see little black snakes, they want to see perfect little boys and girls. But that being survived, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and through the forest it watched you get raised. And it said, what about me? I'm the older sister, I'm the older brother. And so an idea that I think has real traction is that it is the business of an adult to call out of exile the thing that society at large encourages you to forget. But there's a way that you have to do it. The monster is not going to be domesticated because the problem is if it's been sent off in such a brutal fashion, it's not wild anymore, it's feral. And feral is not the same as wild. That is a more marginalized, more pained kind of condition. There's a myth that you talk about where the woman goes off, she leaves home, and she comes to this place and she's grabbed by the giant and the giant is going to eat her up and she had no idea. I think you use the phrase, Oprah didn't tell her about this part of the leaving home. (laughs) And and so here she is, not swallowed, but the potential of being swallowed by the giant. You Mm -hmm. use the phrase, look up. She looks up. 
And there's something about that, looking in a place that we don't ordinarily look. The story is uh, the woman that became a fox. It's an old Siberian tale. And sure enough, it's a woman that rightly breaks out from the hut she's lived in with a one-eyed, secretive, ugly man. And she trails him one day, and he turns out to be even uglier, even more secretive, and even more one-eyed than she could have imagined. And then she gets kidnapped by a giant and taken to his tent. Now, that's the moment we're talking about. And, you know, bless Oprah, she probably would have warned us. But uh, in this tale... (laughs) She's sitting there and she's saying, God almighty, things have got worse, not better. And that is part of the soulful evolution of most people that I know, is you make a move and then actually the next, the very next step takes you to the underworld. And the underworld in myths in many parts of the world is partially designed to rob you of naivety. If you display naivety when you're in the presence of Baba Yaga, she's just going to gobble you up and you deserve it. So in this story, sure enough, the woman is sitting there languishing in the dark, bemoaning her lot, and a voice does say, look up. And hanging off the ribs of the tent, which are kind of wooden poles leading to the centre, are all these different animal skins. So I guess it's saying something about trouble can lead you into the animal senses. But she spends a lot of time trying to become a raven, but the cloak doesn't fit. So actually she has to make an even deeper move, which is not to look up, but to look down, down into the place of scat and bones, because it's there that she tries on the pelt of a fox and she gets to escape. She was trying to peck her way out of that tent with a beak. She never would have got there, but down on all fours. She can smell a breeze underneath the flap of the tent and she digs her way out. So the story has absolute genius in it. In Western culture, there are so many stories about ascension. We need to ascend. We need to transcend. We need to go up. But what I get from the myths that you bring to us, it's all about the descent. It's about going down. It's about... Yeah, and that's an ancient idea, and so with all ideas, we can become anaesthetized to the reality of it. We say, oh, I get it, but actually, when you really descend, the way you'll know you're descending is you do not enjoy the experience. No one goes down willingly, because the way it tends to show up in our life is through, you know, some sort of catastrophe. So you are clinging on at that moment, but yes, that movement towards depth, to trade growth for depth. Again, that's an underworld kind of thing. Because in the end, myth is telling us something very unfashionable. Right now, I meet a lot of people who think they can be anything they want. It's the opposite of what myth tells Well, we're told that. Yeah. It's garbage from an ancient point of view. Myth changes the chess game completely and says, no, 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 you can't be anything you wish to be. You have to be something really specific and actually only you can do it. You've got to turn up to your own life and take the one part that you can do because no one else can do it. So in other words, actually a kind of limiting of gaze, a deepening of gaze is part of what the underworld offers. Your mentor, Robert Bly. Yeah. He said, you keep going down and going down and going down until you decide enough. I mean, in the descent, 
there is a choice. It's not an ever and ever more going down that you can say, okay, enough, I'm out of here. That's the beginning. But myths are pretty clear on the fact that you don't get out merely through, you know, just grit. You have to return with a gift of some fashion. Ah. Bly did it, you know. The artists we love, whether it's Nina Simone or Miles Davis, whoever it is, yeah, they suffer, but God Almighty, they come back with something extraordinary from it. So, yes, the storyteller's contract with the tribal community is a story or a piece of art will take you right down to the bottom and then it'll lead you back up again. But if Robert was sitting here, he would be the first to say it and he'd say it better than me. You're going to come back with a limp. But from his way of thinking, if you know how to carry your limp well, you won't keep pointing out other people's. So the underworld actually is a place that gives us a certain kind of gallows humour it has a sobriety to it, and it tempers us in a particular type of way. I think our souls have to be troubled into communication these days. I don't think our souls are hugely invested or impressed with success, but they like depth. And um, one of the questions I keep getting asked in my work is, can we recreate in the West efficient... <laughs> that word efficient, efficient initiation rights for young people. I haven't got a clue, and I've been doing it for two decades. What I would say that is available to everybody, whether you are 103 or 13 years old, is the continued deepening and tempering, that word, into the business of your own soul and relationship to it. My dialogue, I suppose, with my own soul has not made my life simpler. (laughs) It has made my life alive to a certain kind of discomfort. But I relish that in a way that I wouldn't if I was anaesthetized to it. Even in our deepest grief, we can feel so alive. Yeah. And you actually have to be careful about that. I know people that I would say are addicted to derailment Mm. because they only feel alive Uh when the wheels are spinning off the cart. Right. And we all have to check ourselves. Yes, we don't want to be anaesthetized. Any parent at a certain point has to trade a degree of excitement for the simple labor of raising a child and letting that kid know that it is as safe as you can possibly make it. No one wants tricks to dad. Mm. What you want is a dad that's actually going to show up at the school gates regularly on time, maybe even a little early. Right. Uh, So as we get older, I think that addiction to derailment is something to be cautious about. Yes. I'm not sure this is going to be a simple or easy answer, but I have a question. In the book, the dad character has a grey-green stone. Mm. And when he goes down... Someone asked him, did he give that stone away? And and he said, yes, I did. I gave it away when he was down in the depths. And then this mentor asked him, reach into your pocket and tell me what you have. And he pulls out of his pocket a wine red stone. Mm. I want to ask you, what is that? 
Very simple. Oh, it's goody. very simple. <laughs> it is something we've been talking about today. It is the trade of innocence for experience. So in a rite of passage, again, unfashionably these days, part of what has to die out on the hill when you're fasting for four days and nights are thoughts no longer appropriate for someone trying to become an adult. In other words, you can't dwell just in kind of hopeless naivety anymore. Life has limits. Life has a degree of duty attached to it. Life has showing up for other things other than just your own desires. And so the scene in the book where the man recognizes that some certain naivety in him has died. And with that, what has arrived is a sense of limit and of incompleteness and of depth. That is the ruby redstone. I meet a lot of people in Western culture who have far less self-esteem than you may imagine. They may have a car, they may have a phone, they may have a computer, but actually when they dream, their dreams are rather like nightmares. And it can seem an impossible task at this point to assemble the things around us, to really nourish, really deepen us, to proceed in the world with a degree of soul. But I would say this, in your incompleteness is the beginning of your authenticity. In your incompleteness is the beginning of your authenticity. There is no other ground to stand upon. Well, we're going to leave our listeners with that thought to mull over and dream about. Thank you so much, Martin. Absolute for pleasure being with us. I've been speaking with Dr. Martin Shaw, and he's the author of many books, including The Night Wages and The Snowy Tower, The Branch from the Lightning Tree, and The Five Fathoms. Yes. And also a book of poetry of Lorca. Yes. Yes. Just come out. So uh, check that out. I'm going to give you two websites, one where all the books are listed. It's called Systemistica.com. C-I-S-T-A-M-Y-S-T-I-C-A.com, Systemistica.com. Or you can go to drmartinshaw.com, and that's abbreviated Dr. D-R, martinshaw.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.